Today is Monday, January 1st, 2024. Do I have it right? Everyone, uh, you know, it's the first day you write a check, inevitably the wrong date, but Baruch Hashem. Achenu kol beit Yisrael hanatunam b'tzara b'shivya hamdim ben biyam ben biya yabasha uvein ba'avia hamakon yirachem alein yotziyem mitzara levach hamayafela liora mishibat lagula hashda ba'galah uzman kariv v'noma amen. I want to dedicate the shir. I had the upside today for my zevi, for my grandfather, Rav Moshe Zeber Rabaya Leib, and. Um, it's my father's father, and you know, we all have two sets of grandparents. So it's fascinating. Uh, my mother's parents came from the finest, greatest Torah families you can imagine. Through them, I'm related to many Gedoli Israel, including Rabbi Refel. And, they, and that grandfather learned in Volusian, came to America. Their home remained kosher. And they suffered, but everything else was gone. And I don't know, going into more detail, I can still remember when my uncle got engaged to a girl from the Bronx. There were two Bronx kids, a marriage that worked out very beautifully, but on a brekel Yiddishkeit. And um, I remember my grandparents crying that they looked at me and said, look what America did to us. Our son is marrying the daughter of her parents had a treif butcher shop, Jews, a non-kosher butcher shop in the, in the Bronx. Then I had my other grandparents, my grandfather, my Zayda, whom I outside today, he was a very good baltfiller in Nusach, a good kedavant. I don't think he ever learned the dafkamara in his life. And those grandparents were never Mohal Shabbos all the years they were in America, from 1900 on. And uh, my grandfather was one of four brothers that came to America. Two wound up in Philadelphia. He wound up in the Lower East Side to begin, then the Bronx, Harlem, Bronx. And he had an older brother who was a big Talmud Chacham. And I write about him in Washington. Uh, you can see uh, his name was Yitzchak uh, Rotkov. Go to the index, R-O-T-H-K-O-P-F. And he was a rav, a sheichet, a malamid, ran a tamator in Taunton, Massachusetts. And my Zayda worshipped his older brother. There was such, there were herits there. Ekhen Gutleren and Hetkeleren and Ayeshiva and Velazhen. And this Seydi, who I have the art site for, he took me to Shul every Shabbos. My father was a postman. They worked five and a half days. Everyone worked Saturday morning. And he took me to Shul from childhood art. And I apologize to him now. I write about this in Washington, but it's true. You have to know. The, all the shoes were on Washington Avenue. I lived Washington 180th. The shoes were Washington 174th, 173rd, 172nd. One shoe after another. So if you know Washington Avenue, to go further south, you hit Tremont. Tremont Avenue, I'd make my Zadie stand at the corner to wait for me. I had to walk down half a block 
there was a bridal shop there. And in the window was Hank Greenberg's picture. And then in green ink, to my aunt and uncle with all good wishes for their bridal shop to succeed, Henry Hank, in quotations as he was known, Greenberg. And like that was a key of Shabbos to see Hank Greenberg grew up a block away from me. He grew up around my father grew up on Washington on 174th. Hank Greenberg lived around the corner. It was also a from home. So it's the yard site today. Uh, regarding with the war and what's going on here, I just want to say what I alluded to because it became public knowledge and I see what the army did. Um, the army uncovered, and this you heard about, uh, hundreds of thousands of documents are now being deciphered. Among the finds of the army was a wallet. That wallet belonged to my grandson. My grandson was wounded in 2014. They had fought for two weeks and they were being relieved by another unit coming in and they were going home for a week and then they would come back, two weeks later come back. They gave them back all their possessions, but the army, when you go into battle, they take away it. And, you know, the minute you cross the border, they take away your phone and whatever you have. And all this was given to them. As they're leaving, rockets hit them, and uh, a number of soldiers were hit by shrapnel, including my grandson. My grandson was among the more fortunate because they could operate. They immediately airlifted him to... Uh, uh, Soroka, and that day already, or the next day they operated, other soldiers with the shrapnel landed close to a vital organ, they couldn't operate. They, you have to remain with it. It causes problems later. All your life you can't, you can't go through an x-ray you have to show you have metal in your body. And later with arthritis, rheumatism, but there's no choice. My grandson was operated. It took about a year for a, a nice recovery. He was in, in Soroka than he was in Hard Sofim. Suddenly, when he was moved already from Beersheba up to Jerusalem to Hard Sofim to be near family, um, the Hamas announces that they have captured another, an, an Israeli soldier. And they show his Tudatse hood and his uh, driver's license, I think, and his Metro card to show they captured. And he was interviewed, and I remember he uh, spoke very nicely, but Baruch Hashem, he's alive and kicking here. Believe it or not, the army found the wallet with the documents, and they made a whole ceremony down south, returning it to him. Now, it's on the Internet. See, I'm not revealing any secrets. I was afraid to... Uh, I didn't know what I could say. Recall, I told you, you may hear the name Yadid Ackerman. If you go to Ynet, you can pick up the ceremony and a whole article, and there are other, other, other social media picked it up. Okay, now I want to come to yesterday's shir and just quickly answer an email I got. It's an amazing world, and I have to thank Yomo right after shir. You know, we had a nice shir yesterday. And right afterwards, he puts it up on the website. And I already received a letter with four comments. So one comment, he's correct. 
I, I evidently refer to a Pasuk as being in Mishlei. It's in Kohelet. Kohelet Zion Pasuk Choftet. Levadra Ezem Atzati Ashna Sarlotim Et Adam Yasha Vehemu Bikshu Cheshbonot Rabim. So I have to say that it's in Kohelet. I was referring to, but you know what people can do. Uh, can't repeat, but coming back to the sheer on my poor Talmidan, what she went through in Toronto, and we're we're basically born to be filled with yashrut, but some human beings mess it up. So I thank I thank Moshe for correcting me. However, the other three comments uh, uh, I happen to stand my ground. Comment two that uh, about Pinoch Shinishba, it's not that we're free to sin, but the point I made, Labriyutni, yesterday, she in contradistinction to Rabbi Chakak, is that Tinek Shinishba today not only applies to someone raised in a Chil Shabbos home in North Tel Aviv, it applies to Frum Jews as well, because the outside influences are so great you can have the finest chinuch, Haredi or Dati, and still wind up in Woodstock. And that's what his article that I quoted yesterday was about, and I'm like, don't want to repeat this year, but I stand my ground. It doesn't mean we, Hasva Khalila, I'm the last one in the world to say we don't have a framework. You know me very well. Uh, they consider me the Haredi member of the faculty here, which may have truth to it. There are reasons why, but Baruch Hashem. The third point, uh, I mentioned that, uh, the, I, I forgot already in relation to who, but uh, Rabbi Nasha Klein views uh, Gentiles as a Malek. So I'm being corrected, a Malek is a specific nation. Well, I'm not such an Amoritz. I've given many shurim on this, but if you're familiar with Koldo Dido Fake, and the Rav said, I heard it from him many times, from from that any nation that wants to kill Jews has a chaloshim amalek. And that's what I was referring to. Does it mean we have to go out and look for amalek? All right, the Achronim already devote a lot of energy to this topic. Uh, but amalek has disappeared. But on the other hand, the concept of a Malik, unfortunately, unfortunately, is so real today that it's actually tangible. And the saddest part is that they even Jews that think like a Malik. I'm still shaking from MIT, Corn Blue. I had Balabatan by that name in, in, in Maplewood, New Jersey. Wonderful Jews. And imagine... Yeah, put Jews in the crematorium, kill them six million. Depends on the context, how you say it. You have to rip Korea when you hear that. Finally, and this is most important, I went crazy yesterday again, I don't know why, uh, you know, Mishpacha with no pictures of women, or maybe it was a past year. So he's telling me that the Haredim pictures are not sneeristic, there's a whole machlokes, how long the sleeves have. It's totally out of the ballpark. 
I'm the last person in the world to advocate publishing pictures where a woman is not dressed properly. But when you block out the picture of the Chafetz Chaim's wife, that type of chinuch sends a message that men are sexual predators and women are sexual symbols. That is horrendous. That is horrible. And that's what I object to. And you know, I gave a, I gave a whole program, remember a year or two ago, that when ch- children enter seventh grade, you have to begin education for life. And part of that education has to be a man must respect a woman, a woman has to respect a man. We are all God's creatures. We complement each other. We supplement each other. And we have to speak about love and dedication and kedusha, kedoshin tiyuki, kadeshatka, etc. Okay, but when you erase photographs, and I'm not making this up, if you read the books of the women who have left Yiddishkeit, unorthodox and other volumes, unfortunately I've read them all, I'm, the, I, I'm, I'm no big fan of, of these women, but one underlying theme comes across that their chinuch taught them all the women is for is sex. And you have to be very careful not to entice a man. And ultimately, some of them totally rebel. And I can tell you more stories from contemporaries of mine. There was one lady, big yichas, chsidish yichas, Whenever we'd be together, I, Malka and I would uh, put a needle into her. No, let's see your jewelry. Arushina Anainakal shouldn't have beautiful jewelry. So one time she told us a story. There was a reunion of her base Yaakov class. I don't want to go further. Some of the women were so far off the path that Shemurah. Okay. With that being said, Let's come back to what's important. Now, l- last week, we, we, yes, Yom, I haven't said anything yet. Yes. Uh, is this the reason that why they rebel, or is just an excuse after uh, Yomo, don't be a wise guy. Uh, go ask the psychologist, who I hope will be here shortly, and have him an- an- analyze you and analyze the question. But it's, life is multifaceted. It certainly didn't help them in remaining good Torah Jews. I I remember my shock. I went to visit my brother after he came in. He was in Soroka today. They brought him to Israel like the encyclopedia brought me. So (laughs) I remember uh, we're, we're sitting in his backyard there and a lady walks by. I thought she was at the beach. A married woman with children. And he says to me, Arnie, you won't believe it. This is a Beis Yaakov graduate. All right, so you can analyze why. I hope, I hope today she's a Tzaddeke. The, the question is, most of uh, Beis Yaakov graduates, they don't rebel and they don't seem to... Uh, uh, when you tell me most, it doesn't make me happy. I want 99% of all our graduates of a good education to remain Tzaddikim Tahorim, period. 99%. I, nothing can be perfect till Mashiach is here, but 99%. I have students over the generations. Not everyone remained the Shomer Torah Mitzvot, 
but the percentage is good. Baruch Hashem. And he, those who didn't remain, I, I told you the story more than once, 1969, I'm at the encyclopedia, and you know, people there from the university, and they're telling me a story, Dr. Rothkoff, you don't know what people think of you. I'm looking at them, they tell me the story, a kid was drunk with dope and liquor, and I don't want to mention the name, I'm going back, you know, it's my comment in the 60s. And in his drunken stoop, he's saying, every rabbi's a phony. They're no good. The religion is no good. But one man I had as a teacher, oh, he was wonderful. He was dead drunk. By the way, his name comes up in Arsameach, or in Ash. No, I think it's Arsameach. Could be it's him or someone else in his family. They came back believe the nefesh. Okay. Let me begin here. Uh, the Velazhin Yeshiva, what was like life... Uh, Vic, let me sit, come sit here where I can see you. Don't, uh, you're all the way in back. My eyes don't see so far. Um, by the way, I've got to tell you, that bakery that you, you gave us, those beautiful cakes, you almost, I almost had heart failure. Why? I see on it bedats and the Israeli flags. And on the bag, pay attention, the bag. And I'm looking, but that's the Israeli flags. They put people in the harem for less. Then I look closely, it's Bells Hashgacha. Ah, bedats of Bells, Israeli flag, the Hasidim didn't have a problem. Then I understood. Now, what was like life before Rapayim organized the yeshiva? And here I quoted to you from a document of a Talmud of Reb Chaim. And, and life was desolatory, learning, haphazard, and there weren't svarim available. And he says, not only that, the Hasidim put this tremendous stress on Yirat Shemayim, learning, kavana, l'shem yichud. And, and you wound up that most of the svarim were Musa svarim. Hasidic forum and, and the learning, the shuckling, and by the way, in the Hasidic world, you'll hear a kid say, Rashi HaKadosh, Rashi HaKadosh. I don't know, I never heard those words in the greatest literature Rabbanim I had, Rebbeim. Rashi is Rashi, Tosfat is Tosfat. Tosfat, you couldn't really say Tosfat HaKadosh, you would say Tosfat HaKadoshim, because there are many people in Tosfat, but the real learning was dissipating. And Reb Chaim, the whole question of his relationship with Hasidus, so we brought sources, and we're going to come back to this, but general background. To sum up Reb Chaim, he was opposed to Hasidim absolutely. However, on a practical daily level, he was not like the Gong. And you can ask from today to tomorrow why. My only reason, and I stand on what I said last week, and uh, there's a lot of scholarship on this, but I think it's a human factor. He saw that Siddham had bounced back. They're not going to extremes like the Shabtai Tzvi movement. And they have 
their faults. Tefillah Shalom Bisman, overemphasizing learning as a Hasidic concept, a, uh, an emotional concept, a shame Yichud concept. But they're good Jews. And keep them within. Don't force them out. And and that that's what I say. That's why yesterday oh, you just walked in. We just chopped off Yomo's head and told you and told him to give it to you and you'll put him back together again. He has a doctorate in psychology, so we were referring Yomo to the right man. Uh, so th- this is the best way to view Reb Chaim. Now, when did the yeshiva begin? And uh, here I showed you, we ended off the class last week, I introduced you to Frankel, to his work. We have wonderful, I, I wrote a note to uh, Rabbi Frankel when his work came out. I said I was born before my time. You don't know how much easier it is to learn these esoteric svarim today. Imagine not just an English translation, it's not so much the English I need, but the footnotes, putting it into context. He did a beautiful job. So he shows, and it's absolutely correct, you can say Volosian began in 1801, you can say it began in 1802, you can say it began in 1803. Uh, before there was a formal declaration, students gathered around Reb Chaim Volosian. So it certainly began earlier than when he announced the new yeshiva. The famous letter that we're going to come to in a few minutes is 1802. The cornerstone laying is 1803. So you'll see many textbooks will say 1803. I think 1802 is the most correct date, and if I recall, that's what I heard in Bernard Graduate School, so I stick to 1802. But now, what was so unique, and here you have to understand what Rabhaim Voloshin did affects all subsequent Torah history. Why? Until his time, and remember, we can't go back to Surim Pampadita, but I'm talking about 1400, 1500, 1600, 1700, 1800, there was never a yeshiva building. Students gathered around the local Rav, the local Dayan. You gathered in the... I daven in Ohol Rivka. Ohol Rivka was originally named Beis Medrish Ohol Rivka. Why? The original plan was it's more than a place to daven, it's a place to learn as well. It, in, in the 54 years I'm living in Israel, it has never worked out. Yatamar, down the block from us, which is a breakaway, there are two shoes that broke away from Ol Rifka. One is Yatamar and the other one is Olaran. Why did they break away? I've told you many times, Ol Rifka is a cold place. And uh, there was a Jew who came in Aliyah from America. He was a survivor. He made good money. He was an import-export, Forest Hills, Teitelbaum. 
I didn't know him, but I know the story. When I came in Aliyah, it was a few years after this story happened, and I knew eyewitnesses. And he came in Aliyah, he had no children. And he davened in old Rivka, and he's walking on Rechov Yafo, and he meets someone, he says, Shalom Aleichem, and, and the other guy looks at him and says, I better speak English, Shalom Aleichem, how do I know you? And he says, how do, you, how do I know, how do we know each other? We davened next to no Rivka. Oh, Rivka was such a cold place. You just walked in, you davened, you walked out. In my time, you weren't allowed to make a Kiddush there. This is Nishta Platz for Kiddush. It's Nishta, Vivumachan, Akelmole, someone gains him under the shoe. We don't waste time in Kelmole and, and Mishabeirachs. It's just a daven. And it was a real cold Litvish shoe with a few yekkers who didn't mind the cold, the coldness. So this Teitelbaum was so offended, there was a shoe coming from Geula, looked for a new place, Beit Yosef. He said, I'll give you $50,000, build the shoe, name it in, in my honor, my wife's honor, it's called Yad Tamar, Tamar Teitelbaum. And there's a, there used to be, they rebuilt it, and I don't see the cherim on the wall, but I haven't been there in a while, there's a cherim on the wall. You're only allowed to daven nusach svad for the amid in the shul. The reason being, if you daven nusach svad, you'll attract chasidish yidden, who'll be a lot warmer than the kalta litvaks from down the block at Ohu Rifka. So uh, there, there was never, never a yeshiva building. You learned, you gathered around the Rebbe. Generally speaking, everyone lived locally. Someone came from out of town, he heard, oh, there's Rabbi Shechter, and that shoot, he gives good shayorim. So he rented a room. He ate in the house, he rented. There's no concept of a separate entity being a yeshiva. Rabbi Chaim Velazhin, the first one in modern times, hold on Ellie, first one in modern times, he builds a separate building for a yeshiva, for the Lushen. This affects every other yeshiva that comes along. Yes, no dormitory yet. No lunchroom, chada ochel. Minesteg, they're farmed down. Kids have to rent a place to sleep. Have to plead for people to feed them. Later, yeshivas get more sophisticated. You see yeshiva Chachmei Lublin. A dining room. A bakery. Wow, a library. A mikveh. But the first one to set aside a separate building, Rebchaim Velashim. And we too, from YU, how did YU begin? In, in shoes on the Lower East Side, right or wrong? You go on a tour, Vic will give you a tour of the Lower East Side, show you the Marion Pole shoe, the base Medrash on Norfolk Street, show you where YU, there's plaques on certain buildings. And then they moved uptown. Wow, a campus for a yeshiva. Unheard of.
yeshiva, yeshiva college. Ali, yes. Yeah, I want to ask, when you go pre-Europe, um, and you go back to like, uh, well, and stuff like that. Right. Before, we have the Medrashi Chazal about yeshiva shame behavior. So, were those like, like in Arda and Surah Bedisa, those were like, just shuls those really yeshivas, and did we lose it? The truth is, you have to ask a person who's a, an expert in this era. I would ask a, a Professor Yeshaya Gafni of Hebrew U. He is an expert on the era. I don't know whether you can really totally answer your question. Uh, one thing is for sure that uh, we, when we spoke about this in class a few weeks ago, Rabbi, you got the, the Sperm, right? Rabbi brought uh, the books, well. And, and one book, book, one book. You're impressed or not? Uh, you didn't know a yek is capable of that. It's unbelievable, of course. Well, I did know, but I didn't see it. Uh, yeah. I about it. Yeah, well, I it really is a beautiful volume. Um, uh, we're talking about uh, Professor Mordechai Broya's volume on, on, on the yeshiva throughout the ages. There's no question with Pirka and Yache Kala that yeshiva affected tens of thousands of Jews. But what these buildings were, we've never discovered it architecturally. So we can only look for sources and try to put them together. But I'm not an expert. I can only, that's why I said to you, in the modern times, oh, there I'm an expert, there I know something. My doctorate. You know, one thing you learn when you, the more you know, the more you realize what you don't know. And that's very important in scholarship. Uh, when I get questions, sometimes I say, ask my daughters, ask my son-in-law, they're experts. And they know, my daughters know Chumish, Rashi, Ramban. I'm a, I'm a tyro in that. But they're experts. They went to Michala. Okay, but it's a, it's a fascinating question. But there's no question in modern times what he did paved the way for all subsequent yeshivat. Now... Was there something like tuition? No, we're, we're going to talk about that shortly when we come to the, uh, to the letter, the famous letter. Let, let me just explain that, and you'll, you'll see the answer to your question um, also innovative, but let me do it shlav shlav. Okay. Now, talking about the building you should know the building is still standing today. Volusion went through an endless story, an endless period. The yeshiva, we'll come to it later, is uh, in a few weeks' time, uh, if not a few months' time, was closed 1892. It reopened in 1895, never on the same level that it was before, as we will see. And then Hitler came along, and that ended the yeshiva. Uh, when the Germans took over, it became a stable for horses. Under the Russians, the communists, it became a canteen and a delicatessen. In 1989, the building was returned to the Jewish community as communism started to fall. And uh, 
it, it was considered a cultural and architectural landmark. Now, what happened was that the building was falling apart and it became a hazard. You suddenly have uh, the Russian, this country, Belarusia, White Russia is becoming more modern. I, I was in White Russia in one of my trips to Russia and what I remember very distinctly walking on a main street and it was in March already the uh, snow was over but rain, snow on the ground, cars riding and splashing and I couldn't get over it. We were walking, Malcolm, myself and the cars slowed down not to splash us and uh, it showed a certain menschlichkeit that I've tried subsequently when I'm driving and I'm splashing, I, I try to slow down when I'm afraid I'm going to splash humans. In 2007, the government uh, told the Jewish community this can't go on, either we're going to knock the building down or you have to replenish it. And uh, a good Israel of America raised tens of thousands of dollars people from this area in Europe, they replenished the building. Now, there's talk of turning it into a tourist attraction because the governments in the former Soviet Empire have learned that Jews are the greatest tourists. I don't have to tell you the Balshemtov uh, the, 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 in Warsaw, Chaim's grave, the Nitzib's grave. My daughters were at the Chatham uh, Seifer's grave. Uh, they built a special overpass over it so that the grave could remain. But they're not stupid. The Jews, when you come to visit, it brings in that tens of thousands, ultimately millions of hard currency into the communist world. Now, one more point before I come to the heart of today's lecture. I'm a Talmud of the rough. I never realized how much of a Talmud I am until I'll talk afterwards about the Return to Zion, the English volume, which I encourage everyone to buy. I hope it's available. You have to study it. It's the real rough, the rough in his pride. And you'll see where I'm coming from. But there's more to the Rav than just the Rav in his prime. We were always tantalized by the Rav's yichus. And here I'll give you the yichus in a moment. I want to introduce you to another volume, which we'll come to occasionally. Aviha Yeshivat. And this volume is by a very interesting individual, Dov Eliach. Dov Eliach is the son of Rab David Tzvi Eliach, who was raised in the Litvish world, total Litvak, raised in Hebron, raised in Petach Tikva, that's before, you, you don't realize Petach Tikva 
had the heart of the Litvisha world was in Petach Tikva in Israel. When Rav Shmuel Rezovsky, I'm mentioning a name that I've mentioned a number of times, Rav Shmuel Rezovsky was a Yudapayasha. He reached Israel before the Holocaust. He was a Gon Adir. And he brought Rav Shimon Shkup to Israel. He was a Talmud of Rav Shimon, eh? Rav Chaim Briska. And Petach Tikva, everyone gathered around him. When the Ponich of Arav began, Ponovich B'nai Brak, he emptied out Petach Tikva. He brought Rav Shul Rezovsky to Ponovich. He was the first great Rosh Yeshiva there. And ultimately, Ponovich uh, totally absorbed Petach Tikva. But people don't realize they were very big. Now, this, this Rebbe Aliyah was a, his father was a Talmud of the Litvisha world. And Musa, and, and the Balei Musa, and he became a Mashkiach. But his father was not run of the mill litter. He uh, was already involved with more open institutions. Siddish. Breslau, uh, but later Itri, Mashkich in Itri. If anyone studied in Itri, they knew Rabaliach. Well, the, the reason, the minute I mention Itri, you have to understand that Itri already was a more open yeshiva than the Litvish yeshiva. Uh, it had a lot of Americans. The founder was basically an American. And why am I telling you this? Because Rabdova Liach is part of the Litvisha world in Israel, but more open, more understanding. And when he writes all these volumes, he's very well known. He's, I, I, I trust he's alive today. I mean, I remember Sperm he wrote over the years. And it's Yes, it's on one sense you can call it in the ruach and method of art scroll, but he appreciates academic problems, he has good footnotes. He deals with some of these academic problems. So I, I mention this because basically how many Sravim can you consult on Volusion? You want facts. You want the Bus of the Yayan, not the so-called uh, apocryphal stories. His writings are somewhere between apocryphal and Hebrew University Barilan PhDs. Okay, and you'll see we we'll, we'll, we'll quote him a number of times. Now, in the Avi Yeshivat, he has a very interesting. He has a a, a, a chart of the whole family from Reb Chaim Volashen. How do we tie in with Reb Chaim Volashen? Reb Chaim Volashen had a daughter, Relka. Relka was married twice. First husband, second husband. She had children with both husbands. Her first husband, the husband of her youth, Rabbi Yosef Soloveitchik. Now, the Soloveitchiks were not Gedolei Hatar. They were business people. 
they what they call in modern Haredi Hebrew today, nigidim. You've heard that word? Nigidim, nagid, nigidim. When someone says Ellie Weinstein is a nagid, well, if they're business people at the table, they're telling you Ellie Weinstein is a heavyweight financially. If they tell you Ellie Weinstein is a London, well, the Londonim at the table will be very happy. I can good learn, and who cares if he can pay his monthly bills? You follow the difference? Uh, they were Londonim, they were from, they were Nigidim, Panasei Hatsibua. It's interesting. So that was her first husband. He had a son, Reb Yitzchak Zev Salavechik from Kovna. From Kovna? All right. Kaunas, Kovna, whichever name you know it by. Ivaim be Yisrael. And he too was an Agid, a Panes Hatsibur. Uh, yes, he president of the shul in your language, right? Vestandik, uh, president of Young Israel at Kew Garden Hills. I don't know if he's an Agid. Uh, he's a Panes Hatsibur. He had a son, Godomi Rabin Shemo, Rabbi Yosef Dov Halevi, Salavechik, the Beit Halevi. That was the great grandson of Reb Chaim. Now, you'll ask yourself, uh, how does Nigidim turn out of Beit Halevi? But the answer is very simple. No one has a monopoly on money and no one has a monopoly on brains. It helps if you grow up in a wealthy home, so you'll know how to handle money, more or less. Other people grow up, I knew people grow up in a wealthy home. They just lived like paupers, wanted nothing to do with money, wouldn't take money from their parents. You have no idea what I'm talking about. I, I can give you living examples, not for now. Well, there are other people who are big Lamdanim. The kids can be Lamdanim. Oh, yeah, then you have kids. No, I'm not so interested in learning. I want to be wealthy. And, and they, they use their good mind in, 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 in making money. And I, I've, I've met people, I, I told you that many, many years ago, Irvin Shapiro came to me. He wants me to stop teaching. I, I should study money, financing and uh, he's going to arrange for me to study what, what's the name of the big guy from, the, from America, or the investor, forget the name, but Erwin uh, Shapiro was a big hustler, he would have retreats every year and everyone would come, and he's a big friend of Israel, a guy Gomer in his 90s, he has a wife, he has a mistress, I mean, it's an amazing lifestyle, and uh, Aaron said, I want you, 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 with your cup, at the end of two years, you, then you'll be able to influence why you. He says, what do you think my influence is? The more zeros I write in the check, that's my influence. And on the spot I said, Irwin, I can't leave the classroom. He's dead. He started maledicting, said, you're just like I offered the same thing to Chaim Salabachik, and I got the same answer. You guys are, are off the wall. Uh, okay. This Reb Yosef Dov Halevi 
Kulo Torah, Kulo Harifis. This was the Beit HaLevi, the first Salavechik, ultimately Brishka Rav, and all that goes with it. And you all know we, the Rav, whenever he called his Elta Zayda, the Beit HaLevi, he would be shaking. The Beit HaLevi gave birth to Reb Chaim. No, Reb Chaim Brishka, do I have to elaborate? Reb Chaim. No clock, what we said last week about the Rav, that description of the Rav in Boston, I didn't tell this to you last week, but that's exactly, I knew people who learned in Brisk. And, and Rav Neich Bornstein told me, Nishkeven kein clock. There was no clock there. No clock. Min learning. All right, someone reminded them to daven shachris. But all of life was learning. Reb Chaim. And Reb Chaim gave birth to Reb Moshe Salavechik. Reb Moshe, don't have to tell you, this is the Salavechik who came to America, brought Brish to America, and Reb Moshe Salavechik's Bukhar. Mori Rebbe, Rebbe Yosef Dov, Halevi Salavechik. Mark, you got to ask one question. If this, I, I just said it was his Bukhar, how is he named after the Rebbe's great-grandfather? Minig Yisrael, the wife gets the name for the first, if the son is born, the first child, the wife gets the name? She labored, she delivered him. The first birth is harder than the other births. She gets the name. Ah, oh, don't you people... You, uh, Kenny, you don't know by heart the rub? I, I think I have it, but who knows? I, I don't know what I wrote, I don't know what I, what I lectured on. I, I suffer, I apologize. I think it's there, but I may be wrong. I heard it from the rub many times. Rev Chaim came to Pesha, to the rub's mother, and said, look, no one is named after my father. The Beit lady. If you name the baby after my father, I'll be the Sandek. No, Charlie, Morty, ask a question. What's the big deal? Who'll be the Sandek? And the Rav said, yeah, and you know my Zayda couldn't handle blood. Rapine would faint at the sight of blood. For him to be the Sandek was Mesirat Nefesh Mamesh. By the name, the name I was looking for before, let me interrupt, is Warren Buffett. B-U-F-F-E-T. If you don't know who he is, make believe you do so, the ignorant pass for the wise. Kenny, after Shia, go to Harafa, go on Google, type in Warren Buffett, and you'll understand what I'm talking about. And Erwin uh, wanted his son me to study with Warren Buffett. He held from he held from two people in his life, the Rav and Warren Buffett. When he spoke about the Rav at Gitzitit, when he spoke about Warren Buffett, his eyes went into orbit. Oh boy! And he's still alive, Warren Buffett. He gave it over to his son, I believe, who's now running the 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 the, the, the business. Anyway, coming back here. So you see, this is the Rav's Yichas. Rav Chaim Velashin, all right. A son-in-law, Rav Yosef Salavechik, 
a grandson, Reb Yitzchak Zev Soloveitchik, a great-grandson, the Beit HaLevi, the Beit HaLevi gives us Reb Chaim, Reb Chaim gives us Reb Meisha, Reb Meisha gives us the Rav, and Reb Aaron Soloveitchik in honor of Mark, my chemistry professor, Professor Dr. Shmuel Soloveitchik, two daughters, Shulamit Meiselman and Ann Gerber. And most of Reb Moshe's descendants live in Israel. Baruch Hashem. So, thank God. Gerber, Meiselman, the Rub's family, Reb Aaron's family, Reb Shmuel had no children, unfortunately. So, this is the Yichis. Now, I'll call your attention to something else that's fascinating. Relka had a second marriage. And her second marriage, from the second marriage, the great-grandson is Rab Avraham Dovber Kahana Shapiro, the Kovner Rav, the Dva Avraham. Read about him in Rakafer Aaron Chelek Aleph. Tell me, who gave the Rav Smicha? The famous letter from the Kovna Rav as talking about the Rav, the Ruach of Reb Chaim is on his back. He gives the Rav the greatest compliment in the world that he inherited his grandfather Reb Chaim's abilities. But you see, can you take this as being correct, it's a cousin being Masmech, a cousin. Do you follow? They both descend from Relka, from Ochaim Belozhin's daughter. So uh, it's interesting how Gedole, Gedole Israel, the, grand, the grandson of the second match was of Zalman Zender, Kahana Shapiro, Ga'oinim, Gedolim, Litvish Velt, Velozhin, the yeshiva, and he was the father of the covenant of Rav, Rav Avram Dovber, Kahana Shapiro. Yes, yes. What happened to the first marriage? I would imagine death. I, I, I would imagine death. Uh, you, you don't have... Uh, divorce was basically unheard of then, although there are different examples in the Arach HaShulchan's family, but that's much later. But all right, that's the family. All right, gentlemen, we now come to... The most important document on Reb Chaim, on the yeshiva, and um, your question will be answered in due course, Mori. And here I want to bring back to life a person that I greatly, I, I, again, I repeat, the education I had in yeshiva university in my time was second to none. I was exposed to the greatest individuals you can imagine college, postgraduate, the yeshiva proper, obviously, even Talmudical Academy had wonderful, wonderful rebellion teachers, role models. Chassidus was lacking. That, that didn't exist in yeshiva in my time. Sfadik, 
culture was lacking, didn't exist. These, I had Savadic classmates, the chief rabbi's son, Leon Katzen was my classmate, at Geret Yiddish, we have Geret Yiddish. At Vashtan Yiddish, we have Vashtan Yiddish. Vashtanen Derav, on Yiddish, hat man nishke kent lernen. There's no two ways about it. Without Yiddish, you couldn't study. The Svadim had to learn Yiddish. This, I, I taught in uh, Michlala, when I, st- I started teaching Michlala in 1971. Fabulous faculty. Among them was Rabbi Peretz, the chief rabbi of Ranana. He just retired. He's my age or a drop older. And I couldn't get over his Yiddish. I said, wie kommt das Reicha? The in the Yiddish, it was part and parcel of him. And uh, he told me, he learned in Panovich. He had to learn Yiddish. There was nowhere else that you could learn on that level. Later, Rav Shach gets credit that he's the first Rosh Yeshiva in Israel to start giving Shurim in Hebrew. It's not that he was at home in Hebrew, but he recognized that it was Shat Chak. And if you don't give in Hebrew, uh, you, the Svatic world will, will disappear. And he switched to Hebrew. I told you more than once, when he got emotional, when the Shach got emotional, he broke into Yiddish. He couldn't express the emotion in Hebrew as he could in Yiddish. But it's fascinating. Now, so in Yeshiva University, one of the professors, teachers, I had him in graduate school, whenever Fishach and I would get together, we would talk about our, we would talk about him and a few others from Bernard Rebel. His name was from Shmuel Kalman Mertzky. And uh, he was a gong. He was Yerushalmi. Came to America after World War I when a lot of Talmud Chachamim went elsewhere. They were starving here. Came to America. And uh, ultimately became rabbi of the Yerushalmi of Borough Park. It wasn't the perfect shidduch as years moved on. The young element wanted a more modern rabbi. Uh, as Haredi moved in, they wanted a less Mizrahi rabbi. I think uh, that galactonic for many years in Borough Park. I don't think, how can I translate that? Uh, Vic, what do you say? At <laughs> he licked He licked honey, but it, it means he didn't have it easy. He was Rubberbar. He was the father of Doctor Professor David Mursky, who was dean of Stern College. The grandfather of Yehuda Mursky, who did a brilliant doctorate on Rav Cook. Uh, it's a fascinating family. I taught part of the family, so uh, I had Mursky in graduate school. To his credit, he taught in Teachers Institute (TI). To his credit, it has to be said he was in his fifties when he got his doctorate at Columbia University. He edited the Shiltat, you're familiar with that, HaMeik She'ela. He edited the Shiltat, that's the uh, Mossad Rav Kook edition. He edited a, a, a scholarly journal called Sura. And as if to say, America is like Sura, we're going to have Israel and America, Sura and Pampadita. And when, when uh, Ben-Gurion spoke at the yeshiva, that famous talk where 
uh, he was cut off by a, uh, a chassid. And, uh, you know what I'm talking about or not? Uh, Charlie, you know, uh, so let me, it's worth telling. You may have been there. You've been going spoke. It's in your time. So Ben-Gurion spoke and he said, uh, and he was speaking Yiddish, spoken Yiddish, and he says, Min and uh, Ben-Gurion on the spot says, I mean both. And then they beat this guy up and carried him out. It was a whole story. They had learned when the rough had been cut off a few weeks earlier, no one knew what to do. But after that, oh boy, I pulled the guy out and he didn't ask a bad question. He's right, must make me. But Ben-Gurion looked at Mirsky right in the eye. They were sitting, the Rosh Yeshiva and the professors were sitting, Abunun, you know, on top there, the big shots. And, and, and Ben-Gurion says, as America is not nicht sure. I hold that America is not yet sure. And he looks at that, that first he right in the eye. So, m- m- among Mirsky's other accomplishments, and I love the man, I have to tell you, he, all right, they had an ego. These guys had big egos. My professors in Bernard Valley, I had to give them respect and, you know, Pre and they were they were giants of scholarship, all right. So, so yeah, I remember he looked at my defense of my doctorate. So I come into the room, all the professors are there, and uh, there were three copies they made of my doctorate. It's, I have the doctorate. It's much bigger than the book with thousands of footnotes. It's in my office. One of the one of the copies is in my office. So uh, I remember Mirsky looking at the bibliography. Oh. Excellent. I had his books. I quoted this book and some others. So he saw, Baruch Hashem, I didn't neglect him. So one of the great things that Mirsky did, and I was a poor kid, Ellie. I saved money to buy it. He put out, he edited, there was the Histadrut in America. Again, you don't know what that was. Histadrut was, my father-in-law was autodidactic, taught himself Hebrew and read Hadoah. Hadoah came out every week in Hebrew, a Hebrew magazine. Did anyone remember it? Hadoah. The Rav pub, the Rav read it, the Rav published in Hadoah. It was he was a big thing. This was something big then. And he edited a volume put out by the Histadrut of Rit in America. They ran Camp Massad. You've heard of Camp Massad? Hebrew-speaking camp. I mean, you don't know what this meant then. You can't thank enough what they accomplished. It wasn't formally religious, but most of the people involved with Hebrew and Camp Massad and Histadrut we shaymer shabbos shaymer Torah mitzvah. The Rav would publish there. Anyway, he. It's a very big volume. Mosta Torah beirapa bevinyanim ubechupan bechubanam. The yeshivat in Eastern Europe, when they functioned, and how they were destroyed. The volume appeared in nineteen. 56. Now, 
every yeshiva is represented there. He edited a co-volume on the rabbinic schools, the theological schools, the seminaries, that's the word I should use. I don't have that volume. I didn't have enough money to buy both. I regret it. But somehow that volume is never quoted anywhere. It's probably not as good. The one I'm quoting from is quoted all over the place. That's not only by yours truly, but it's quoted in a lot of scholarship. Each article is done by someone else. The one on Volusion is done by Shmuel Kalman Mirsky. Shivat Volusion, Meye Tarav Dr. Shmuel K. Mirsky. The fact that it says Harav Dr. tells you something else. Generally in scholarship, all it should say is Shmuel K. Mirsky. Uh, whenever I publish, I never allow any title. Aaron Rakefet. Rakefet dash Rothkopf. Okay, I have to always use Rothkopf because I... No, no, it's for scholarly reasons because my first book came out, Rothkopf, the first edition of Revel. So I always am stuck with Rothkopf. Legally, I changed my name twice, once to Rakefet, and then I had a problem proving I'm Rothkopf. So the Mishrat Abdim said, change it to Rakefet dash Rakefet Makaf Rothkopf. And that solved all problems. But that was Bernard Revel Graduate School. A professor, respect. Okay, now this article is fabulous because in the article he reproduces the letter that everyone talks about. No one can write about the history of yeshiva in Europe without referring to the letter. This was the letter that Reb Chaim Velozhin wrote in 1802. And here he talks about why he wants to establish a yeshiva. And he describes uh, that everything today is so difficult because nothing is in a formal, central fashion. And I'm quoting him now, word by word. There are many students who want to learn, but in no area are there good teachers for them. There are many students who want to learn, but can't afford to. They need their kemach, their bread, the Ein Lechem Malokaf Kemach, they don't have a full bowl or kaf spoon of flour, meaning where did they get their money to sit and learn, not to work? Volusion later begins what in my time yet went on in Yeshiva University. Students were given stipends for food. Anyone remember that? You remember, Mori? Did you have it in Baltimore? You don't remember already. It, it's after your time. We were just fed. What? what? We were fed. It, well, yeah, you, but we, we were given stipends to buy our food in the luncheonette in the cafeteria. It was unbelievable. Before Pesach, any poor kid 
Now we had a lot of kids who were survivors. Took them downtown, Dean Zah took them, and 7th Avenue was all Jews, the clothing industry. These kids got new suits for Pesach. I mean, you don't know the chesed. This began in Volushin. That you're not only going to have students, you're going to support them. You asked about tuition, going to support them. That they should be able to learn. And he says, we must go ahead and formalize an institution where everything will be centralized and it will be open to all. Now, there are two tremendous conditions here. One, a central institution. Students can come from all over. It's not like when on until then. Until then, in every shtetl, there was a rav, there was an avbeitin, there was a dayan, a kent and they wanted to give a shear. So students gathered around him. Now you're going to have a focal institution. All the students who want to learn and have the background and have the ability, come. But now you need teachers. And he says, we don't only plead for students. We want Rabbonim Lamdonim who feel they can teach come and join us. We need teachers. And you don't realize how revolutionary this is. Teachers. Chaburas. Chavrutas. No da'agot panasa. The man was ahead of his time. You start to understand, we spent so much time on Yachau, Chachmei Lublin. Take a look. This is 120 years earlier, and Rav Chaim Belushin is setting the blueprint for yeshivat. And you see, it's more than that. In the Hasidic world, without Yechis, you can't join the club. I told you the story more than once. I'll tell it again. My dearest friend was Howie or Chaim Noble, Seichet Sadek Lefracha. I'm a year older. Rav Heshel Shechti is here. Ask him about Chaim Noble. We were all part of the same Chabur. So, Chaim, we're walking in, Drunk, Cretona uh, Park it was called. There was no, not, no Bronx Park, Bronx Zoo, but this is Cretona Park, East Bronx. And uh, that's where from Jews went Shabbos, East Bronx. Rabbi Moshe Bick was at one end, at the other end. You already came to uh, Washington Avenue, and he sees this pretty from girl, finds out it's the Chenchkevitz Rebbe's daughter. He decides he wants to take her out. He wants to court her. 
No, he writes Chidushe uh, Torah, whole subject appears later in his first Sefer, the Vachayim, which had Haskama from Rebleza Silva, who writes, I'm amazed that an American kid can write Torah on a level that we wouldn't be ashamed of in Europe. Uh, a letter just was uncovered in an archive sent to me, Rav Lesson, the Mashiach of the Yeshivas, writing to Rav Shneer Kutler, or to Rav Aaron Kutler, I think it's Rav Aaron already, to uh, take us into Lakewood, and he writes my name, and another name, and a third name, and he writes Chaim Noble, and with Chaim Noble he writes, he's a Hotani Luyashikop, has the head of an Elui. So he wrote, good Torah, S- sends the letter to the Chenskevitz Rebbe, telling him what he would like to meet his daughter. The next day, it's announced in the Morgan Journal that the Chenskevitz Rebbe's daughter was engaged before she was born. The mother and some distant cousin were both pregnant, and they made a deal, if I have a boy and you have a girl, they marry. And it was front page news. No one knew why. It was very simple. To tell Chaim Nobel, get the heck out of here, you rotten, vicious, malicious, vicious, ranger, toothless, depraved, degenerate, the bounce, surreptitious, litvish, bummy. Got it, Kenny? That's why. You got to have yichis in the Hasidic world. Volusion, who is a good teacher? Your yichis does not matter. And he started something which not entirely worked out. Some yeshiva became family institutions with all that that implies. But on a basic level, people rose to become Gedole Rashi Yeshiva and Litavshi Yeshiva had no yichas, no relationship. Look at Rabbi Lichtenstein. He was Rabbi long before he became the Rav's son-in-law. I was appointed a Rosh Yeshiva. It was all the Rav kissed me, hugged me, stayed me. I told you, the story's unbelievable. I never, I never appreciate anything. Bishat my sight, but that's life. It's the way you grow up. That's the way you have to be. But no one asked me, who are you related to? Could you imagine I could have said, I am a cousin of Rabbi Dr. Bernard Revel. I didn't know it then. When I found out, I was too old for it to do me any good. Ellie Weinstein couldn't care less. Cousin of Revel, not a cousin. He only cared. A good share? <coughs> Fine. Remember what I said yesterday. I stand up at the end of the share. Okay. Baruch Hashem. And you see, Reb Chaim Velushin here was revolutionary. On one hand, I want every good student to come. On the other hand, I want every good teacher to teach. Yes, Mori. In Yaha, you said there was just the Rosh Hashiva. There weren't. There wasn't any. Well, else. well, they, they, in theory, there was no dominant personality, but there was a mashkiach afterwards, and then they did have gradations. It's inevitable; you must have gradations. Tells was organized like Yeshiva University; they already had formal gradations. Uh, 
in mir through the Rosh Yeshiva, the Mashkiach, but they're what you call the Arisha B'chabura. The Chabura system in its infancy already began in Europe. Today, you have areas like with me, it's not, yesh- it's not a yeshiva. It's a tenth of ch- 1,000 different Chabura. You follow? Uh, I don't know. That's a modern term. In my growing up, I never heard it. But then again, when I learned in Lakewood, the whole yeshiva centered on Rabarin Katla. The mashkiach, we call her Reb Nassim. Mashkiach, that was it. That was it. Today, it's... I mean, Lakewood is a different ballpark. Or Mir, you saw that a student, a dear student said you can't be angry at Mir for what happened with the, with, with the Simcha Bunim, Yisrael Bunim, I should say, because it was one Chabura. So you heard what I answered. The world hears Mir. No one really recognizes. If I were Mir, I would put out a disclaimer that this was not with the permission of the, of the yeshiva, etc. Because it can affect fundraising. It's very, what, that, what that man said is unforgivable. I mean, it's frightening, frightening that a Torah personality can speak this way when blood is being shed for the people of Israel. Remember, we're just sitting here. Hundreds of thousands of young men are risking their lives as we speak at this moment. All right, but this is the Chaim, revolutionary. And you see, you have to appreciate him. If, if you think in terms of 2025, what yeshiva doesn't have a dormitory? What yeshiva doesn't have a lunchroom? What yeshiva doesn't have students from all over the place? Why you used to advertise we have students from 32 different states and 39 different countries? No, what yeshiva today in Israel? Over the years in BMT, I taught kids from Australia and kids from France and kids from South Africa, kids from America, kids from Canada, kids from Russia. Rebbeim, who doesn't have the top teacher? If you're not a top teacher, the system throws you out. Plain and simple. I've, I've many Talmudim made a living out of art scroll. Beautiful, I, I don't want to mention names, because what I'm going to say is not complimentary. They couldn't teach to save their lives. In order to teach you, the, the first part of teaching is you have to have knowledge. The second part is you have to love every student from a tzaddik down. And the third part of teaching, you have to be an actor. New Kenny, who wrote about it? I know a guy named Rakhafet, quotes the Rav. Remember this? I was an ear witness. I was sitting right there. The Yorkshire here. He finishes a five-hour what? What he did in the Agatha, oh. and a rough from Brooklyn, a wise guy says to him, "I heard this with my own ears." Salavechik to bista gracia actor, you're a great actor, and the rough without body and eyelids says, "Sezaina guta malamit, that means zaina guta actor." And I quote him. I think Eshi Shechter quotes him to him one of his books. You gotta be an actor. You have to be alive. It, Morty was so tired last week. He, he had been to a wedding. I said, I'm gonna keep you awake. Did you fall asleep last Monday? I don't think so. I don't think so. 
Max, this was Reb Chaim Volashem. You see? Go back to 1802. The man was revolutionary. On page three of the, of the volume of Mirsky's volume, yesterday. So he says, and, and you know, all the Rabbanim, uh, they, 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 they put themselves down. Uh, is it right to put yourself down? Uh, it's an interesting question. Uh, the story is told that uh, the Chavetz Chaim was traveling in a carriage coming to Raden, and a Jew asks him, didn't know who he was, and says, uh, where do you live, Abu Venkman? He says, I live in Raden. And this Jew says, oh, I'm coming, I have a business partner here, but you are so fortunate to live in Raden. The Chavetz Chaim lives there, a going at Sadek, and the Chavetz Chaim says, nay, there's nicht das Agoin, nicht das Agoin, not such a big guy, not such a big Sadek. And then the guy, Shabbos, the world goes there's the Chafetz takes a look it's the Chafetz Chaim and he was shocked he said Rebbe I apologize I heard Lush and her about you but you were telling it yourself and the Chafetz Chaim said afterwards you know I don't know whether I did the right thing can you speak Lush and her about yourself interesting question but somehow it's uh, the Rav used to say, I remember the Rav. I don't have Ruach HaKodesh. And the Rav, you know, how do I compare with my father, my grandfather? So uh, Rav Chaim says, my role in all this, I'm quoting him word by word, my role in all this in the letter, he says, I'm not more than a Shamish. What did the Shamashim used to do? They used to go around and wake the people up. And he would they wake the people up. He says, I'm like the Shamas, working the people up and telling them, Come, come help, build the yeshiva. Now, he quotes in his letter, he quotes the Gemara in Sanhedrin, Chelek, Daftzadi, Tet, famous Gemara. Kol mishev shalo lasok v'torah v'einu osek alov nema ki Hashem baza. That if someone can study Torah and he doesn't study Torah, he is embarrassing, disgracing HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And he says, in our generation, we have to encourage, there's wonderful youth that wants to study Torah, but they can't. We have to give them the ability. Now, I have to tell you in parentheses, you probably can pick this up online. You just have to know where to find it. They're tapes of Rabarin Cutler. I heard him in person. This Gemara he would use to attack anyone going to college. 
he would get hysterical. Gain in college? You got me or I don't have to translate. Eli understood? Baruch Hashem. You can hear him on tape. I go to Israel. There were tapes. I, I knew Rebaran. I knew Rebaran. But I have to tell you something in parentheses. It's not entirely true. When you find that letter from Rav Lesson, they, they pulled out of the archives, the letter from Rav Lesson to Rebaran to take us into Lakewood, or maybe into Rabshni, it could be that Rabshni was handling the entrance, the entrance to Lakewood at that I don't remember. I have the letter. And uh, it mentions another name, Deer. I don't remember his first name. I don't know what became of him. I've thrown out the name, if anyone knows. He was such an edel, such a fine, adin individual. And he was one of us. And he was older. He already had three years of college behind him, yeshiva college. And he loved Rebar and he loved Lakewood. You have to understand, we, were, we, we loved, my, my life was Torah, all right? I hope I didn't disgrace myself. But I, I would have stayed in Lakewood as my parents, my mother, you know, I write about it in Washington with Louis Feldman's class, all right? I don't regret it, but I loved, I loved Rapan, I loved Lakewood, and Libi Hoshkabatora. And, and the deer went over to Rabaran, and he says, Rebbe, I don't know what to do. I, one more year and I can graduate college, but I want to stay in Lakewood. What should I do? And Rabaran told him, it ain't your Kimratavindraya. Mark, did you understand that? With one year, you can rescue three years. In other words, finish the degree. It'll be worth it to you. This way, you walk away after three years, you wasted three years in college. So it's interesting that Rabarin, with all that he held, uh, a Beatles man, the Vahashem Bazaar, with all that he screamed, uh, with deer, he bent the rules. And I don't know what happened. I, I don't remember his first name. I remember what he looked like. I remember his Edelkeit. Okay, let me make one more point because I want to speak uh, about Israel in a minute. Something else here is revolutionary in Reb Chaim's thinking. And this too sets the pace for every yeshiva until this very moment as we enter 2025. Until now, you, know, you had a rav, you had a dayan, you had enough baitan. So Talmidim gathered around him. You had to live nearby. Max was living in Slabotka, a suburb of Kovna. And there was a good Avbeitan there. Gave a shear, Max attended. 
Who supported him? Who supported him? Who who took care of food? Where to sleep? The local community. The whole concept in Tulrab Chaim was where the rub is teaching, where the Arbaitan is teaching, that's where you learn, learn, get the support. So he's responsible. Talmud Torah, educational system. City's responsible. Reb Chaim revolutionized that thinking. Students from all over. Teachers from all over. Fundraising all over Europe. Total different concept. Mishulachim. Every community. The Habanda fine yeshiva, the Gretzky yeshiva, it's Chaim yeshiva in the lotion, sticks on as the Talmudim can sitzen and learn and the Rabbeim can get in Gutteshayorim in every community. Help us. Zvulen and Yesacha. The Chaim introduces it in the letter. It's a partnership. Later, no? 1924 visit of the Rabbanim to America, Central Relief, offices established in America, member Diskin orphanage growing up, every American Jew on the Israeli mailing list an orphanage, help us, a pushka, Mir, New York office, tells New York office, that's what saved Rav Katz, Rav Bloch, fundraising America. You can go on and on. Who established this? The concept that everyone is responsible, not just the local community. Volushin is not just Volushin, it's Vilna, Kofna. Later, Berlin, Frankfurt, Pressburg, all over. Mishulachim. All right. This too, this too was Reb Chaim's innovation. And this letter, as I said, was written right after the New Year, Rosh Hashanah, 1802. The letter went out. It created a storm. The Lushen Yeshiva is established. Within a year, they had the cornerstone of the building that was going to be built, the building we spoke about an hour and a half ago. Okay. So to reiterate, I want to thank, first of all, everyone for honoring me with their presence. Yes, yes, you'll see. Well, uh, we'll talk about that next week, actually. That part of the letter I skipped, I'll deal with it next week. But everyone who is the Talmud Mufak of the Gong. So that that much everyone knew. What was your second question? I'm curious, 
Uh, well, we'll talk about that, but for Lushen, ultimately, they had Mesechta that they learned by Iyun, but there were many who did call Hashas al Haseder, and there was never a moment when they weren't learning in Velushin during the Natsib's time. They had said, like the army, like my grandchildren on parole in, in the Shomron, so uh, there isn't a minute where there aren't soldiers on the roads or in the Yishuvim that they have to guard, like uh, one from 12 to 6. Uh, in the in in the afternoon, one from twelve midnight to six in the morning, etc., etc. But we'll we'll come there slowly but surely. So what did we do today? All right, the high point of today was Reb Chaim's letter, which is the foundation of all that Volushin is about. Everything goes back to that letter, and the Professor Mursky's article that will quote other parts in in due course all goes back to that letter. Now, I want to tell you, uh, last week I said I dealt with uh, the introduction to the Yiddish expression, the Yiddish volume uh, on the Rub, the Return to Zion. So I said to you, and it was, a, remember I cor- corrected the author and explained what a good Yisrael was like when it first was organized in the Rav and Rebleza Silva, Rebleza Silva organized it, the Rav who worshipped the ground of Rebleza went along with it. And I said to you, if they would have known that the day would come that out of a good Yisrael, they would use the word Chazetreif, the 300,000 Jews trying to save the lives of 7 million here, ourselves included, they would have never organized the good Yisrael. You know that I'm absolutely right. And the proof is very simple. It hit me between the eyes later. 1956, the turning point of American Torah history, the cherem, the prohibition signed against mixed board of rabbis and synagogue council. Tell me, who refused to sign the prohibition? Rebleza Silva and the Rav. My case rested in dignity. I had great joy. I'm not uh, daydreaming. I saw this 50 years ago, and I have to thank Yomo for helping me come up with it. It's not where I thought it would be. It's Chidushei Chatam Seifa, Chelik Aleph. The set that was republished here in the early 70s. It's right at the end where he deals with Perik Lulav HaGazel, Amud, or it's Daf Membet Amid Aleph, 42a, bottom column, and the top of the next column. And here, I can't go into all of it, it's fabulous, look it up, the safest in the base Medjish, fabulous Divrei Torah, from the Chatam Sofus Rebbe, the author of the Makna, and on Kedushin. And uh, uh, he raises the whole question of Israel, the Machoikis that we've spoken about so many times, Rebbe Yishmuel, Rebbe Shem Ben Yochai, are you allowed to be the Torah to work the ground? And he says, black and white, that in Eretz Yisrael there's no machlekes. 
mitzvah yeshiva arabs, just as you have to learn Torah, you have to build the land of Israel. So the whole machlekes can only be in Chutzlaretz, not in Israel. And he, here he says what I quoted, that imagine someone will say in Israel, it's a good chavimina, I shouldn't have to put on tefillin, osayt b'mitzvah yeshiva arabs, it's putta from tefillin. And that's when I said, I remember I gave a whole drasha, Oseh for mitzvah, patam in a mitzvah, but chutzivah, v'chutzivah. We have to do everything in Israel. Now, I've also said, and recently, that I don't see any heta for anyone living in Teaneck, Flatbush, or elsewhere, not to serve in the Israeli army. Muhammad mitzvah obligates every Jew ba'asher chusham. I have to tell you, Baruch Shekivanti Ledaskadaydom. First of all, Rabbi Lichtenstein wrote an article in tradition about 40 years ago saying the same thing. But this week in the freebies, Olam Katan, which is a fabulous, little, a fabulous publication, what they give you out free here. It's worth living in Israel just to get the freebies on Friday. Uh, and... Besheva, Shebesheva was founded by a student of mine from BMT, so I have every reason to be proud. And uh, uh, in order to get so, in, in Olam Katan, Rav Aviner was asked, someone in Chutzlar says they have to serve in the army? Absolutely. And he quotes and he says, Gam Hagon Reb Tzvi Shechta Poseik Otol Davah. So I'm in good company. Chut Hameshula, Shubar Lichtenstein, Rav Avimeir, Rav Tzvi Shechta. Wow. This volume, this is the English volume. I don't know, you must get it to Israel. The Return to Zion. I bow before Rabbi Professor David Fishman, who translated from Yiddish, and I bow before... Rabbi Shaul Zaid Lafella, who translated into English. I'm enthralled, this volume enthralled by it. Why? This is the Ravinus Prime. The Machshava demands ability to take Chazal and translate it into modern day Israel. There's one piece here, May 1947, May 1946, excuse me, and a man wrestled with him into the break of dawn. I think that was given at YU. You have no idea. The depth, the level, the Chidushe Torah, the application, and out of it comes the Rav he is furious with an organization that will later say has a treif. And you see why he's upset, how every word comes true. And then he talks about Israel, what we're going to develop here. I'm afraid to say it. It's like my Rebbe Hadruch HaKodesh. You have no idea the depth of this safe. I'm almost finished with it. I can't put it down. The return to Zion. I salute it. Belevu nefesh. 
OU Press, Katan Publishing, but we have to thank Rabbis Fishman and Zeidler Feller for the fabulous job they did. Again, I call your attention to Yeshiva University here in Israel, and the guy named Rakefet is dancing a Kazatska. You know, when I got this property, the Makabapatish, again, like I said an hour ago, I took everything for granted. This is what you have to do, you know. No big deal. Beat up Petty Kolek, get the property. That's a good Jew, does it? Boy, I didn't realize what the implications would one day be. It's 50 years later now, almost 50 years, I should say, 76, uh, 24 now, 48 years later, they really are serious about the four-year program. Save the date. Yeshiva University in Israel on the Tewit program, Monday, January 22nd, 2024, at Inbal Hotel, 7 p.m. Learn about academic partnership with Barilan or Tel Aviv, a uniquely YU designed Torah study schedule and campus experience, etc., etc. Well, they are serious, and there's Ratashem, but I have to tell you, BMT began with 10 students. Don't forget that. Not all are alive today. One of them was Michael Fould, who was the first comrade I had on Lavmata Kodesh who called me Rebbe. Remember, in America, I taught Gemara seven years. Everyone called me Rebbe. It's the first Talmud who called me Rebbe. He had the exact date in his notebook, the first class I gave in BMT. Uh, it, it was late October, early November, 1969. Ten students and BMT changed the world. If anyone wants our Torah, it has the article that I cited yesterday on the war, the whole question. Show it to Rav Shecht, if anyone will see him. Show him, they discuss here the candle lighting on Yontif Sheni. Very fascinating issue. Rav Mezuzah's yeshiva, Tunisian yeshiva, I believe it is, in B'nai Brak. Uh, if... Are there any questions? Gentlemen, I thank you from the bottom of my heart until we meet again in health and happiness. Das Open it to the world. All right, we have some wonderful people listening. Yitzchak, did you get what I left you on uh, Herzl? Good, okay, good. Okay, are there any questions from around the world? All right. Until we meet again, and Hella Jack, I thank you for all you're doing with the indexing and the advertising, Baruch Hashem, and you do a good job. You don't miss anything. Even even the jokes are on there. <coughs> until until we meet again, and uh, Yitzchak, yeah. <coughs> Rabbi Avishai David wrote a book of vignettes on Rabbi. Judah, and I must tell you. It is unbelievable. It's not just a biography that you can get out of Google. It is an <coughs> insight into each one. The Rosh Hashivas, the Lord of Dublin, the Lord the different students. He, it's, it's truly an amazing writing. And he throws in his own drop on each chapter. It is a book deserving of wide uh, 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 spread.
Right, right. I'm well aware of the volume, and I think I did mention it in class. I'm not certain, but you're absolutely right. It's a beautiful memoir of the greater YU atmosphere as we knew it in our time. Uh, Yomo? And, uh, actually, I should ask Herbert David first. Uh, got, it's there's some parts that didn't make into it, but... Uh, no, no, there are parts that were censored. That's a different story, but it doesn't affect what was published. It's very good. If anyone wants the volume, Yoma will find out how we can uh, distribute it here. I'm not, it's not my volume, so I can't give it away. But you have to ask Rabbi David. Thank you. Until we meet again in health and happiness, Dasvidanya, Besorah Tovot Alengu Valkolius